what we're getting ready to read. I wanted to make sure. So let's turn to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse number 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust or how to covet, uh, except that the law had said, Thou shalt covet. But sin taking occasion, or sin seizing the opportunity, by the commandment wrought or produced in me all manner of concupiscence or covetousness. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived or came alive, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life or that promised life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful." For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, or of the flesh, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. That's an important aspect of what we're, going to be, what we're reading and what we're going to be talking about this morning. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. In other words, I have the desire to do what is right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, I find it to be law that when I do good, evil is close at hand. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So this morning we're going to do a study on sin, not a comprehensive study, There are going to be a lot of things that I could say about sin that I won't have time to say this morning. But I think sometimes we don't spend enough time talking about sin, uh, what sin is, and our propensity uh, to sin. Uh, I think that a lot of times we think of sin in the past tense uh, and that it's not really a problem anymore. Uh, But that's not true. Because we, even as saved individuals, continue to sin. It's just a fact of life. So 
we may not have the greatest definition of sin. We may have just a limited definition of what it is. But I want us to talk about it this morning so that when we leave this place, we understand sin, what it is, and what you and I need to do about it, and what God has already done about it. So important for us to, to talk about these things. So maybe we, maybe we don't say it a lot, maybe we don't talk about it a lot, but there's also going to be a faction of people out there that think that we talk about it too much. You're always talking about sin. You're always bringing up sin. Well, it's my opinion that everybody messes up, everybody makes mistakes, nobody is perfect. I'm just tired of hearing about it. And you know, part of that statement is accurate because we all are imperfect and we all do make mistakes and we all mess up. But it's important that we know about it and it's important that we talk about it. It's important that we talk about it because somebody really great did something about it to help us with it. And that's what we need to really focus on and what we need to really pay attention to, that it was sin that took Jesus to the cross. It was sin, it was the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross and he had to die on the cross. And he, he died a bloody and painful and humiliating death because of sin for that reason. So we need to understand sin. So let's just call sin what it is. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is breaking God's law, breaking God's commandments. Sin is going against the will of God, not doing what God wants us to do, but instead doing what we want to do. And even as believers, we, we flirt with sin and we wink at sin. Sometimes we intentionally sin. Yes, I sometimes intentionally sin. I believe that you sometimes intentionally sin. And we may, we may try to say, well, it's no big deal. That's not a big deal. Uh, nobody gets hurt, and it's really nothing. But it is. It's a big deal. And it is a big deal because of what we just said. Because it was sin that took Jesus to the cross. Sin was the reason why he had to do what he did. Scripture tells us, too, to not be fooled by any talk like that, that sin's not a big deal. Galatians chapter 6 tells us not to be deceived. It says, God will not be mocked. For whatever you sow, that you will reap. If you sow sin, then you will reap the consequences. If you sin, there will be consequences. Let me throw in a little side note here. As Christians and as believers who have trusted Jesus for salvation and for forgiveness, sin has been dealt with at the cross once for all. But if we sin and if we choose to sin, there will be consequences to the sins that we choose to commit. So looking at our text this morning, there's a lot of stuff in there. And trying to read through it uh, is kind of confusing. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read that, that passage, I, I'm scratching my head a little bit. I'm going back. I'm trying to understand some things. 
But I think there are a few things that, that we would all agree on, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, and that is what, is, what are some of the things that sin does, and what is sin to us? And one thing that I think we see here uh, that we saw, I think it was in verse 13, talking about how sin seizes the opportunity. I believe sin is like a predator. Think about your, um, think about your alpha predators in nature. You've got your lion, and your lion will hide in the tall grasses uh, in the plains in Africa, and it will wait for a gazelle or some other animal to walk by, and at the right moment, it will pounce upon this unsuspecting animal, and it will kill it, and it will eat it. And think about alligators and how they lie in wait in the water. And from a distance, it may look like a stick or a a tree limb, something like that. But it'll sit motionless for a while, and then the animals come to the water hole to get something to drink. And unsuspecting, an unsuspecting zebra or something else will bend down and start drinking the water. And before you know it, it's in the jaws of that alligator who's been lying in wait, ready to pounce. I know you don't want me to talk about snakes, but let's talk about snakes for just a minute. Have you ever heard how snakes can charm animals and creatures, uh, rabbits, mice, squirrels, things like that? It'll, it, will, it will sneak up on animals. Sometimes it will, I've, I've read and seen where the, the animal is terrified and seems to be under some type of a, a spell. And before, it's, before it can get away, the, the snake jumps in and attacks and kills the animal. And, you know, you've got your sharks in the water, and you've got your birds in the sky. You've got birds like hawks that dive down. Uh, you can't usually see what's happening above you. And so a, a hawk will swoop down unsuspectingly, and it will grab hold of its prey and carry it off and eat it later. And, that, you know, that's, we, we can all pull those images up in our mind because we've seen them on TV. But that's what... That's what predators do. Predators watch their prey, and then they strike when it's unexpected. They watch their prey, and they strike when it's unexpected. That's what sin does. Sin is a predator. Sin, according to verse 13, seizes the opportunity, and it jumps at you. And, it fi- and, and seizes, what does seize mean? Seize means to find an occasion, to take an opportunity. So sin, when, sin will do that when we're not expecting it, when, we're not, uh, when we don't have our guard up, when we're not watching, and when we're not paying attention. And it will attack, and it will carry us away, so to speak, just like a predator will. I think James understood this in his book. James tells us that each person is tempted when he is carried away by his own evil desires. So Satan, I think we would all agree from Scripture that we've read, Satan knows what our weaknesses are. And Satan knows when, when we are weak. And he uses these to the fullest advantage. He will exploit us as only a predator can. And he is a, he is a very capable adversary. 
He knows what he's doing. And Scripture tries to warn us, and Scripture tries to tell us about that. And, you know, think about other types of predators that we have in our society. You know, what are, how do we deal with, with certain types of predators? You know, we've got predators that are, that are considered sexual predators in our country. And if they're caught and they're found guilty, and if for some reason they are released, then they have to be registered on the, the offenders list. And whenever they move somewhere, they have to register their address uh, so that people will know where they are. And if there are any near you, which any of us could find this out, if there are any near you, you can go on this list and see where the predators are. And what do you do? You try to avoid the predator, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? We're not going to go and take our kids around the, that area. We're going to try to protect our family. We're going to try to protect our kids because that's what you do when danger is around, when a predator is around, somebody that can cause harm. And I thought to myself as I was thinking about this, why don't we do that with sin? Why don't we, why don't we register sin on some kind of list? And I, and I thought about that, and I think maybe it's because we don't really call some sins sin anymore. And some of the things that we're falling prey to, we have for some reason or other decided that's not really a sin. But you know what? If the Bible says that adultery was a sin, it still is a sin. Does that make sense? If the Bible says that stealing was a sin then stealing still is a sin. If the Bible says fornication was a sin, then fornication is still a sin. If gossip was a sin, it's still a sin. If homosexuality was a sin, it's still a sin. You know, these things aren't popular. I know that. And we have come to a point in our society where we've just kind of let our guard down and said some of what we said before, it's okay, nobody gets hurt. But the bottom line is, if it was sin, it is sin. And we need to realize that and understand that and not get angry about it and not put our guard up against it, but be willing to accept what it is that God is trying to show us and what God is trying to tell us. Because He hasn't changed His mind about these things. He's remained constant about everything else. And it seems to me, being the human being that I am and you know, there's things in my life that I have wondered, well, what's so bad about that, God? You know, and I've maybe thought, God, why don't you change your mind about that a little bit? You know, we, we've all probably had things like that. We, we, we tend to try to justify things, and this is not as bad as that, and at least I'm not doing this. But bottom line, if it's wrong and we're doing it, it's sin and it's wrong, and we need to stop doing it. And so we have the Word of God, and it tells us what sin is. It tells us what sin was, so we can know what sin is. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. And since we can look to the Word of God to see what it was and what it is, what it was, what it is, and what it will be, why don't we register those things somewhere in our minds, in our Bibles, mark them in our Bibles. These are the things that I need to avoid. And I know, because you're just like me, that you're going to see some things that you're drawn to. And you're going to see some things that, that maybe you didn't think were all that wrong or were all that bad. 
And you're going to begin to see that maybe some of the things that seem so innocent that I have even begun to make this an idol or a god in my life. I can't do without this kind of thing. Can somebody say coffee? How many, how many times have we heard people say, I can't live without my coffee? I can't function without my coffee. I've got to have my coffee. I've got to have my coffee fix. That's such an innocent thing. But how many times throughout the day are we saying, I've got to have my Jesus? Oh, come on, William. You're such a, you're such a religious person to say that. Well, call me what you will, but it's true. If we put anything, no matter how small or how big, in our conversation and make it bigger than God is, it's not right. You mean we have to guard everything we say? Yeah. Everything I feel, everything I think? Yes. We need to register it. And he's given us the information in his word to know what's right and to know what's wrong. The thing is, we've just kind of, kind of put that to the side because we're living in the here, we're living in the now, things are different, situations call for different situations, new, modern situations call for a new and modern way of thinking. My concern is if that's the case, then are we going to start saying that since we're living in a new and modern world, we need a new and modern Savior? one of our own making that says what we want him to say, that does what we want him to do, and is okay with us doing whatever it is that we want to do. And we can't have that because we don't have, that's not our responsibility, and, and, and we don't have that power. But he does, and he is, and he was, and he will be, and he is the one that says, and so we listen to what he says. Not a popular way of thinking, not even among some Christians, but it's got to be that way or then truth is relative and we can all think what we want and do what we want and live the way we want to. And I think we've been doing that for a long time and look where we are now. Look where things are headed now. Sin's a predator and sin wants to devour us. Sin wants to devour our country. It's a predator. But it's also, it also is, is a thing that produces. Sin produces things. Um, what it produces when we allow it into our lives and when we begin to do these things, what it produces are ugly things, things that we don't want in our lives, things that we don't want people to see or hear happening in our lives or coming out of our mouths. When we allow sin in, what comes out is not desirable. It's not a good thing. Um, in verse number 8, we're told that we should know that sin will take every opportunity. Sin will take every opportunity to get us to break God's law. And in that verse, he's talking about covetousness. He could have just as well used any of the other uh, commandments and, and talked about those here. But in this scripture, he used covetousness. And sometimes at the very knowledge that something is wrong or when we receive the knowledge that God says that this is wrong, then sin will probably offer up an opportunity for you to do that thing. You ever thought about that? Maybe sometimes maybe there's something out there that's never been an issue for you. And then you hear about it in a, in a message or a sermon or a devotion 
you hear about it and you begin to think about it and then you begin to wonder what it would be like and then you begin to think I wonder I might do that and you never really had a problem with it until you realize that it is something that God does not like that it is a sin that he is against and sin will offer up that opportunity for you to do that very thing we've probably all experienced something along those lines and a lot of times that will come in a very soft and subtle way because Satan knows that he can get you quicker with a little sweetness and with a little sugar than he can with salt. I, th- I think most of us would prefer something sweet as to something salty, uh, 90% of us maybe. But that's what he does. He comes in very subtly, but he is very persistent in what he's doing. And he will come at you again and again and again. That's what sin does. I want us to look at Paul's attitude in the last part of the Scripture that we read, verses 15 through 24. We're not going to read those again, but we see Paul's attitude here. And this is a man, you've got to remember Paul. We love Paul. He penned almost half of the New Testament, and he was a church planter. He was, a, he was an all-around great kind of guy. But yet this is the guy that said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And it's making my life miserable. I'm, I'm wretched because of it. And he's like, what's going on here? So Sin causes confusion. Sin causes confusion in our lives. When we take the bait and we commit the sin, it will cause confusion in our life because there's something within us that maybe likes committing that sin, but we know that it's wrong, and then we're trying to weigh it out, and then we're confused, and then we've got friends that say, do what makes you happy, and then we've got, we got brothers and sisters in Christ that say, no, it's wrong, don't do that, and we're confused. And then we think, well, I was walking so closely to the Lord for so long, how could I have allowed this to happen? I'm just confused about it. And we kind of see that in Paul's wor- words as he says here, why do I do what I don't want to do? And we see how sin can take a, you know, first of all, it takes a toehold. And then it gets a foothold. And then it becomes a stronghold because of its persistence. And it doesn't want to let go. And it wants to produce some things in your life that are not good and that are not pleasing and not good for us as Christians. We see this in the life of King David. King David loved the Lord. We know that. Loved the Lord with all that he had. But in one instance of, of being lazy and avoiding his personal responsibility, a moment when he was weak and the enemy knew it, and a moment when the enemy knew what his weakness was and offered that opportunity, then something terrible happened. When he should have been leading his people, he was at home one day, and he went up to the roof, and he saw Bathsheba, and she was taking a bath. And one thing led to another, and it produced some terrible things in David's life and in the lives of the people around David, all because of sin, that predator sin that produces terrible things and horrible things. I think the enemy knew that he was susceptible to that particular temptation. He offered up that particular temptation, and David took it. And once he had lusted after Bathsheba, then it was just like trying to stop going down a slip and slide that's been covered up with baby oil. 
I don't know if anybody's ever been in that experience. Now, if you've been to camp, you have. You know what it's like to try to go down a hill that's covered with plastic that's been, that's been completely covered with baby oil. It's hard to stop, isn't it? It's, it's if not impossible. But that's, what, that's the progression that David went down. He, he, he lusted. There was action that took place after that. He committed adultery. Uh, it led to deception. And eventually it led to murder. Yes, to, to death and to murder. That's what happened. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because in the chapter right before this one, Paul is telling us that the payment schedule for sin is death. So sin produces death. And what it wants to do is to keep those that are lost from coming into a saving relationship with Jesus. And he wants to, t- he wants to, to tempt those that are in a relationship with Jesus to break the laws of God to produce some bad fruit in the lives of us Christians. Now, we got some, uh, we got some farmers in here. we got some farmers in here that do very well uh, with their gardens. And I don't know if you were here Wednesday night, but if you came in, you saw on that table out there some, some squash and some zucchini and uh, a few other vegetables out there. And some people just have a green thumb and can grow anything. But I guarantee you that when those people that are so good at that planted zucchini and squash, they expected zucchini and squash to be produced. That makes sense, doesn't it? You buy the little seed packet. It's got a picture of squash on the outside. And you plant it. You expect it to produce squash. Well, sin produces death. Sin produces death. Put it on the register somewhere and understand that. seems so innocent. It's not going to hurt anybody, but it produces terrible things in my life, and it produces terrible things in your life. So it's a problem. Not only is sin a predator, and not only does it produce things in our lives that we don't want, because of these things, it is a problem for us, even saved individuals, even as Christians, it's a problem. It's a problem for Paul, and we see that. We see that in Paul's words in this scripture here this morning. Look at how he talked about all that sin produced in his life. I don't do what I know I should do, and I do what I know that I shouldn't do, and because of it, I am a wretched, wretched man. In some translations, it says miserable. In some translations, it says unhappy. In one translation, it says I am at the end of my rope. So it's a problem. It was a problem for Paul. Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament and did so many things once he experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus, did so much that helps me and you as Christians. Sin was a problem for him. And a lot of things came from this problem. He, you know, you, when you sin, you become miserable. Why, oh, why did I do this? Why did I fall prey to this? Why did I give in to this? I knew it was wrong. Why did I do it? And it makes us unhappy. I'm, I'm, I'm so unhappy because I wanted to please God, and I feel like instead I've disappointed Him, and, and I've gone completely against what He wanted me to do. 
you know what it feels like. You know how, how you feel, the guilt, the shame, the I should have known better feelings that pop up when, when we do sin. It makes us irritable. I'm so mad at myself. I'm mad at myself, and I'm mad at the world for offering it up to me. And I'm, I'm upset about this, and I'm upset about that. And it also it can produce becoming defensive. You know, well, I saw so-and-so do it, and at least what I did wasn't as bad as what so-and-so did. So it's a problem that produces some ugly things, even in the life of a believer, even in the life of a Christian. Which Christian? Every Christian. So we can also say this may seem very simplistic, and you're like, duh. But sin, sin is personal. Sin is personal for all of us. The Bible says all have sinned. The Bible says no one is righteous. That's, you know, that's me. That's you. And we have this predator that is pursuing us. And we have this predator that seeks to produce ugly fruit in our lives. And he wants to destroy us. And again, we look to Paul because he gave us our scripture for today. Paul, who was a scholar, uh, a very intelligent man, uh, lived a life before he became a Christian of learning and studying the Word of God. And very, uh, very important and very influential man, this Paul. And yet, from verse 14 on, he begins to, to describe his struggle with sin, and he describes it in a way that helps us understand it was his own personal struggle because he keeps using personal pronouns. He doesn't say you and y'all and yours. It's all about himself and explaining that sin was a personal struggle for him. It was Paul that was in need of help. It was Paul that was struggling here, and he's trying to help us to understand that. Now, as a believer, I want you to listen to this. As a believer, I believe that it is impossible for us to keep on in the practice of sin and loving it. I believe it is impossible for the believer to continue in the practice of sin and loving it. Okay? Because it's going to produce in you some of the things we talked about. Misery, being unhappy, being defensive. But as Christians, we can't continue in sin and love it. And the reason that we can't is because sin can no longer fulfill us. It can't. Sin cannot fulfill you and me because of the radical exchange that took place in our very core, in the very core, the very center of our being, of who we are, when we became born of God through salvation. So we can't be involved in sin and enjoy it and, and think that it's a good thing and that's a great thing and that we can keep on doing it because we have been born of God and we are different now. Now, before we were saved, we couldn't help but sin, and sin was satisfying to a degree. But once we have become born of God, it is scriptural, and it tells us that it's no longer how you and I are supposed to live, so we cannot be satisfied, and we cannot be pleased with the way that things are going. That doesn't mean, and I've said this many times, and I hope we understand this, it doesn't mean that we will never commit sins again. 
because we will and we are. But it does mean that we are dead to that and we're not made to sin anymore. We're dead to that, which is what the chapter before verse chapter 7 tells us. So God is at work in us as Christians. You've got to know that. And we can know that because Scripture tells us that as Christians, as believers, God is at work in us. And what He will do is He will be faithful to carry on and complete what He started. Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You've been born of God, so sin cannot satisfy us. It cannot satisfy you. It cannot satisfy me. So if you're waking up every day with the desire to practice sin and get better at it, then you need to consider, am I born of God? Am I saved? Can I do this and not have some regret? Because you are different and you are new and you have a new heart and you have new desires. And if you can sin and have no remorse or regret or guilt or shame about it, then something is wrong. Maybe we're not born of God if that describes us. But if you are born of God, you have a new way of living, church. I've got a new way of living as a Christian, a new way to be, a new way to live. And I'm not going to do it perfectly, and you're not either. And that's okay. We're not going to do it perfectly. But what we do is we're, we're work, getting up every day, and we're working on the art of depending on Jesus, depending on Jesus. And what we're doing when we do that is we're practicing righteousness, learning to depend on Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that's the new way of living for us. It is what fits into our lives now as new creatures, as new creations, to trust in Christ for everything. And we're supposed to do that. And when that temptation comes, we're supposed to call on Him. We're supposed to turn from sin and temptation, resist the devil, and, and trust Christ for help and for the, for the answers that we need in those moments and in those situations. Believers are going to continue to commit sin. But here's what every believer needs to understand. Everybody who has been saved and whose blood, who knows that the blood of Jesus paid for your sins and they are, they're paid for and taken care of that you and me, we died to sin and we have been freed from the power of sin. You and I have died to sin and we are freed from the power of sin. That's a reality. It's not something to aspire to. It's not something to work on and get there. It's something that has already happened in the life of a believer. We talk about the great exchange that took place when we were saved and how sin was taken and thrown as far as the east is from the west and salvation and the Holy Spirit was deposited within us. But along with that comes this, this truth as well, that we are dead to sin. We are freed from the power of sin. So every Christian in this house, in this place, is able to say no to sin and to walk away from it. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 2, it asks the question, how shall we who died to sin live in it? Romans chapter 6, verse 22, now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Now, these next notes I wrote really small, so I'm going to have to put my glasses on. These are some scriptures as well that I want you to, to understand that backs up what I just said. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Resist the devil, and he'll still hang around and poke you with his pitchfork. No. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And what does the devil have to do? He has to flee. Who, said, who, knows, who knows that this will happen? God. God had this written down for you and me so that you and I would know that we're dead to sin and free from its power when we submit to God and resist the devil. The devil will flee. Um, this is also from Romans chapter 6, verse number 14. Um, sin has no dominion over you because you are under grace, you are not under the law. Sin has no dominion over you. This predator that produces horrible things and that's a problem, a personal problem for us, has no dominion over us. None. No dominion. Uh, One more verse, Romans 6, verse 7. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. When we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, my friends. That's, that's a reality. That's not something to hope for and dream about. That is a reality for you and for me. Think about this. When the grace of God appears in your life through salvation, when the grace of God comes into your life, grace does not just calmly pronounce forgiveness over your life. This is what grace does. Grace rolls up its sleeves, and it starts to work. And it starts to work hard for you and for me. And it starts to fight. And who is it fighting? What is it doing? Grace hunts down every enemy of your soul. That's what grace does. And Paul put it this way in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. He said that grace takes us by the hand and begins to train us to say No. Grace takes us by the hand and begins to train us to say no. Isn't that good news? Isn't that beautiful? Everybody in here, say the word no. You can do it. You can say it. And so what what Paul is telling us in Titus there, and what these other verses are telling us, is that sin has no dominion over us. Sometimes we use words and phrases like, I couldn't help myself, or it was just, the temptation was just too strong. But live in the reality that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to say no, that you can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, and that sin has no dominion over you because of your co-crucifixion with Jesus Christ. You are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. And you live not under the law and not under the power of sin, but you live under grace that is taking you by the hand and training you how to say no. I know there are people here struggling with sin. I know you've got to be. 
because it's, it's a reality for every person. And the good news, part of the good news is that you can say no, and you don't have to continue in this sin pattern. You don't have to. How many times have we watched nature videos and the gazelle got away from the lion? And we're like, yay! And how many times have we seen the zebra run away just before the alligator's jaws snap shut? The same thing can happen for you and me. We can, we can resist the devil and he will flee. And that is good news for us. We died to sin, people. We died to sin. It doesn't mean that sin died, but we died to sin. So we're no longer slaves to sin. We commit sin, but we do not live in sin any longer because we are now living in Christ. We are living in Christ with the power to say no and to do the right thing. And that frees us, people. That frees us. Remember the skit? Remember the people stuck on the sin chair and they couldn't let go? And then the young lady got down on her knees and prayed. And, and they got up and they started dancing around because they were free. Christians should be getting up and dancing around because we're free. I can't. I've got two left feet. Oh, my back. You know, I'm not necessarily saying physically get up and dance. But your soul should dance and, and, and be excited in knowing the freedom that you and I have because of Christ and what He's done. We are so, under such bondage, and there are so many strongholds that we've allowed the enemy to have. Allow Christ to, to free you from that. He, he has freed you from that. Accept that freedom and live in the freedom that He died to give you. And William, I'm talking to you as well. That's for everybody in here. So we have a free choice. That's something that we didn't have before, before we became a Christian. We just sinned and couldn't help it. But now that we're saved, we have a choice. We have a free choice. And you never have to wonder. You never have to wonder if you're dead enough to sin or if you've grown up enough in Christ so that you can be ready for that next temptation that hits you because your death to sin is complete and final. But William, how can I be dead to sin and still sin? Because, my friends, we're living in an imperfect world, and we have yet to be taken to that place of promise where our, our soul, our spirit will be connected with our heavenly body. Oh, William, you're talking science fiction now. No, I'm not. I'm talking biblical. I'm talking scripture. We have not yet reached that place of perfection. We will one day. We are dead to sin, but we're not just dirty old sinners who are just saved by the grace of God. We are saints who sometimes sin. We are saints who sin. And when we sin, it's because we forget that we're dead to it. And instead of submitting to God and resisting the devil, we, we go towards the temptation instead. But we're dead to it. And I'm going to tell you something else. Jesus did not need to die to sin's power because Jesus never committed a sin. Never committed one sin. But he died to sin for us 
Listen to this. Jesus died to sin for us so that we could die to sin through our co-crucifixion with Him. Because as Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And the only way, the only way that you and I can experience real victory is to participate in Christ's death through salvation. That's the only way. That's, that's where our real victory comes from. Real victory over sin will come through knowing and remembering. Listen, real victory from sin will come from knowing and remembering that we are 100% dead to sin and fully alive to God. You will never be more dead to sin than you are right now. You are dead to sin. Sin has no dominion over you. You will never be more dead to sin than you are right now. And you will never be more alive in Christ than you are right now. And that is good news. So there is real hope and there is real victory over sin this side of heaven got to be proactive in, in applying these truths to your life. If you have to, make a register of sins. This is where I need to stay away from. If my temptation is my, my viewing habits and things that I watch, then I need to, I need to put parental controls on my television. Uh, if I'm drawn to certain things, then I need to stay away from those things. Uh, if, if I hang around certain people and I'm drawn to do things that I know are wrong, well, maybe we need to step away from that friend group for a while. And if they want to know why you ain't been hanging around, then we got to say in love, I'll tell you why. Because, because this, this is, I'm struggling with this, and I'm tempted to do this. And the Word of God, the Word of my God, the Word of my God who I love tells me that it's wrong. And I'm not judging you because you do it and you're participating in it. But friend of mine, I have to tell you, I can't be there. Because when I'm there, I'm tempted and I fall into that. And what I'm doing here, my friend, is I'm telling the devil no. I'm telling sin no because it doesn't have dominion over me. Does it mean that one day you'll be able to go and not be tempted in that situation? Possibly. But why take the chance? Because if you go, and if you're tempted, and if you sin, then the predator will pounce, and it will become a personal problem, and it will produce things in your life that you don't want. And we don't want to live that way, because we were, we were born again to be free and to experience freedom in Christ, which can and should be a reality for every person in this room here today. So if you're lost here this morning... Sin, what sin wants to do is sin wants to destroy you and sin wants to keep you from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. For, our, for believers here this morning, you and I need to claim victory over sin today. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. Don't make these things just phrases that you say every now and then. Make it the reality of what you live in every single day and realize that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to partake of sin. So if you see a chair and it says, do not touch, if you see an opportunity 
that you know God is not pleased with. If you, if you, if you are tempted by something that you know the Word of God says stay away from, then heed those warnings, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You're not under law, you're under grace, and you have complete freedom from the power of sin. Rejoice in that.